Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. Here we are. Ash Wednesday. Yes, it is. Ash Wednesday. It is Lent. Let's go. Yesterday on Sound Insight, it was Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras, a chance to talk about getting ready, getting prepared to have a great Lent. Well, I'm going to dive into that. I'm going to talk about Lent and how to have a great Lent as a Catholic. Come on now, we can do this. And we'll get started on it in just a minute after we acknowledge our sponsors. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. drtomcurran.com. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It is great to be with you today on this Ash Wednesday. Yes, not a holy day of obligation, but the beginning of a holy season of opportunity. Did you like that? <laughs> this, though this may not be a holy day of obligation, it's not. You don't have to go to Mass on Ash Wednesday. But what I love to say to my kids, and they've caught on to this refrain for years now, you don't have to, you get to. So they get to go to Mass on Ash Wednesday, as well as on other special days. You don't have to pray the rosary, you get to pray the rosary. It's a gift given to us. Well, today on the program, well, wait a minute, I gotta pray. Well, let's pray, and then let's dive into how to have a great Lent. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, we love you, and thank you, and praise you. We ask, Lord our God, that you would give us grace, Lord, the grace that you've set aside for us in this Lenten season. Help us, Lord, to approach this season with a sense of um, openness, to be led into the desert that you have set aside for us, to be willing to be led by your Spirit and to follow you into that desert that has our names on it. Lord, I say yes to that. I say yes to the desert with my name on it. I say yes, Lord, to following you. And, and Lord, I ask for the grace to, uh, to live it well. Help me get to the end of this season and, and be um, rejoicing in the gift that in the gifts that you have uh, made available to me that I would have chosen to fully enter in and engage. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you just a first word to get launched into this Lent. Renounce. Renounce is a great word to get started in your journey into Lent. Um, I'm going to, and when I say that, that word renounce, it, it has a, a particular spiritual power to it when you renounce something. And I, I think that has, it has some punch, right? It has, like it has a, it has a, a bite to it in a way that giving up, oh, what are you giving up for Lent? What about, what are you renouncing? 
Are you, are you renouncing a certain sin? Uh, are you renouncing a certain attitude? Are you renouncing a particular way of living? Re- renouncing, if you've heard me talk on Sound Insight before, you, you know that so the Catholic spiritual tradition on repentance is that it operates at these three levels. It operates at the level of action, where you repent of a particular misdeed. Right? You can repent of a thought, a word, a deed, or an omission. And so any one of those is an act of repentance. I repent. I'm sorry. I acknowledge I've done this. Forgive me. I repent. I am contrite. I, I am disgusted over the act that I have committed, over the act that I've done. That, so that's one level of repentance. The, the second level of repentance is at the level of the attitude. It's not just the action, it's the attitude. And boy, oh boy, does Lent have to do with attitudes or what? Attitudes, remember, are ways of relating to things, how you approach something, how you relate to it. And Lent is an incredible opportunity given to you by God in the church, in this church's calendar year, the liturgical calendar, to renounce the fundamental attitudes that we have around our own life, around the way we spend our time in the course of our days. Renounce our attitudes about money, reputation, uh, things that we consider important. Uh, how about our own lives? Whoa, man, that's a, That's a big call. But when Jesus calls his disciples, the the fundamental call of a disciple is to renounce one's own life. Unless you renounce your life, you surrender and abandon it, and you pick up your cross and follow Jesus, you cannot be my disciple, says Jesus in in Mark chapter 8. That, so that fundamental act of renouncing is to what? It's to say no. No, I reject that. I rebel against that. Now, isn't this interesting? What we're asked to reject and rebel against are those actions and, and ways of living, attitudes, these attitudes we have that are rejections <laughs> and rebellion against God. Come on now. We all have a, a part of our, our thought life that is rebellious against God. Here, here's something I'm renouncing this Lent. I'm renouncing lazy thinking in my prayer. I'm renouncing lazy use of my mind in prayer. What does that mean? I don't... Uh, it's so... I'm accustomed. It's a habit. It's an attitude that as I pray the rosary, my mind has a natural, not a natural, a fallen inclination to start thinking about things that are not my prayer, that are not the mystery of the rosary that we're on. I allow my mind to wander rather than wrestling, battling for the thought life of my mind to focus it on the Lord, to focus it on the mystery. 
And I mean, honestly, I'm not thinking sinful thoughts. I'm just thinking worldly thoughts, thoughts that have to do with silly things like my kids' basketball games and strategizing in my mind because I'm, I'm the coach now of the junior high team. And it's like when I put it out there, <laughs> I read or hear about the lives of saints and how fervent they were, devoted they were, single-hearted, single-minded and pure of heart in their pursuit of the Lord, their love of the Lord, their all-in quality of wanting to honor him. And this is, you know, seven-year-old Saint Rita of Viterbo at seven years old wanting to create a cloister or got permission from her parents and lived a kind of cloistered prayer life in a room, seven years old, because she just wanted to love and be loved by Jesus. I mean, I hear stories like that. Uh, I hear uh, accounts like that. They're not fables. I hear accounts of the fervor and devotion, the dedication, the single-mindedness, of these young saints and, and older saints. And then I look at my life and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm praying, but it's lazy prayer. It's lazy prayer. It's not dedicated, consecrated, set apart prayer. Well, time to renounce. Let me renounce uh, a mind that wanders in prayer renounce the permission that I have permitted my mind to float into when I'm praying the rosary. So what what am I doing to, to help with that? I'll dive into a couple of solutions. So what I'm doing, uh, the Liturgy of the Hours, I've already told you what I do when I my mind wanders and I, I read through a psalm or two um, or I'm reading through the prayers, and I realize I've just been wandering in my mind, and I got to the end of the psalm, and I'm like, wait a minute, did I, did I, did I read that? I'll go back and read it again. And if my mind is still wandering, I'll go back and I'll read it again. It's a way of attempting to battle against like uh, an undisciplined mind in, in my prayer. When I'm praying the rosary, one way that I'm doing it is that I actually will play a rosary so that I have the, uh, the actual uh, prayers of the rosary being prayed apart from me so that I don't have to worry about saying the words. And if I can take my mind off of, oh, am I, am I praying the first half? Am I leading the rosary? Or am I praying the second half of the rosary? Um, where it's easier to... It, it's, it can be easy for me to just, again, wander in my mind. Instead, let me, let me battle and put the focus on the mystery. So if I don't have to say the words, I can just focus on the mystery. What's the mystery? What's the mystery? Okay, let me use my imagination. Let me use my, my thoughts. Uh, my, what have I learned about this mystery? Lord, what are you saying to me in this mystery? Let me be present to this mystery. And it becomes easier to break the bad habit and then to begin to lay the groundwork, sow the seeds in me 
of a better habit. But that begins with what? Renunciation. Renunciation. So if you, hopefully, as you're now launching, today's the day of launching here, Ash Wednesday, have you come up with some of the things that you are renouncing in your Lenten practice? So we had um, more than one family meeting uh, to talk about this, uh, Carrie and, and I. Um, we gathered our kiddos, and there are only five kiddos in the house now, uh, junior, sophomore boys, eighth grade, sixth grade, fourth grade girls, and gathered them together, and um, an interesting thing happened. Carrie, Carrie, Carrie and I were talking, and, and we break down our Lenten observances in the current home to two things. The, there are the family, the family commitments, the things that we're committing to together, and then there's the individual commitments. And I started to say, Carrie and I started to, we plan the family meetings. So we were getting together talking about what are we going to get to, what are we going to do when we get together and talk about? <laughs> so we have a meeting to plan for the family meeting. And by the way, that's important. Don't just stumble into those meetings. Kids will lose their focus and attention quickly and will uh, easily grab you and, and take you off track if you, if you let them. All right. So uh, when we were planning about it, Carrie said a very interesting thing to me. She said that, hey, you know, let's not worry so much about getting the kids buy-in when it comes to the family commitments. Let's just do them. And she said, growing up, did when you're parents said, here's what we're doing as a family this Lent. Did you have any input? And I'm thinking, no, <laughs> no way. My, my parents, they decided and we did. And we just did it. And, and, and again, you, you can do it with the, with the right spirit, right, as parents. But you don't have to bring them all the conversations and get all of their buy-in and, and get them to, to make the choice no, just do it. Just do it, and they'll go along. So a couple easy ways for that to happen. Um, I talked about effeminacy. If you listen to yesterday's program, I brought that to my family meeting with the kids, and I said that, look, if we're going to grow in holiness, and that's what Lent is about. Actually, I didn't start like that. What I actually started with was, if you're sitting in this room, You've been extraordinarily blessed by God. And by that, I, I, I further went on. It's because you're living, when you're living, where you're living, in the family that you were born into, where you have been given extraordinary blessings and graces compared to the great majority of people who have ever lived in history or the people who are alive today. You're growing up in a, in a home that is Catholic, and full of faith, and you're living in a peaceful neighborhood, in a peaceful town, in a peaceful uh, place where you get to have a great education, and you're growing in, in strength and, and uh, wisdom in following the Lord. Do you realize how blessed you are? And I said, the Lord blesses you this way because he loves you, but he also blesses you with such extraordinary blessings as a stewardship. That means he's entrusted them to you, and that means that he wants to do something great in you and through you in this world. Don't doubt this. Magnanimity is the virtue. 
You strive to do something great for God. You strive to extend yourself to do something great for God. And I think I had their attention. And I said, Lent is about us uprooting, pulling up the weeds to the very roots, digging down deep and uprooting the great enemy of magnanimity. magnanimity. And the great enemy of magnanimity is effeminacy. All right, back in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you on this Ash Wednesday. Remember now, this is not a holy day of obligation, but it's a great day for you to go and, and when you go to Mass, obviously you get the ashes, and uh, it's a great way of publicly witnessing in, in the community of faith and beyond, and but especially to yourself. Remember, man, that you are dust, and to dust you shall return, right? That fundamental message that gets brought out to you in the Lenten season. Um, and I, I just think that that is so critical that remember that we are dust and to dust we shall return. So I'm talking to my kids uh, with Carrie in our family meeting about Lent as a time to growing in our virtue of magnanimity. And I said that the great enemy was effeminacy. Now, if you've studied the Summa Theologica, you might be saying, hey, what about pusillanimity? All right, you're right, you're right. That is the vice opposed to magnanimity. Um, if magnanimity is extending yourself to do something great for God, pusillanimity is not extending yourself to do the things that are even in your power. Not, not something great for God, but not even doing the things that are in your power. But that's where I come back around to, what is it that makes us stall out in doing good, makes us hesitate in doing good? What What is it that makes us slow to act? What is it that makes us withdraw our hand from the difficult path? And the answer is things that make us soft, things that make us addicted to pleasure and comfort and ease. And I put it right out there. I said, we are going to be rigorous and vigorous about taking action to get those things that leave us soft, that leave us desiring and chasing after and protecting comfort in our lives. And instead, we're going to pursue some difficult goods. So TV goes away, right? So they all know that TV is going away uh, as, of, uh, as of today. It's getting put out into the garage. <laughs> so yes, it really is going away. And so um, that, not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. Um, I, uh, I committed to the kids that um, I, I, I am getting rid of uh, YouTube. YouTube is, is the, probably the only, um, it's the only app on my phone that 
I will go to with any amount of time. I mean, I'm barely ever on Facebook, um, but YouTube is something that I'm, uh, I do spend time on. Um, uh, and I'm just going to get rid of that. So that'll be a, a way that I bring it to, down to my phone level. And so Carrie and I talked about the things that we're doing to um, lead the way, show the way, um, and, and go further along the way than they are regarding the commitment to get rid of the things that would leave us wanting to choose what is soft and comfortable. So I carry and so that we, we basically then went down through prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, right? Those are the three uh, great um, uh, disciplines of Lent. And you know why, right? You know why. Prayer is about extending ourselves, stretching us uh, in our relationship with God. Fasting is about restraining ourselves, denying ourselves in our relationship with ourselves. And uh, almsgiving is about extending ourselves in love towards our neighbors, towards others. And so you can see how if you use that theme of renunciation, right? I'm renouncing a whole way of living, a whole attitude towards prayer that is holding me back from going deeper into prayer. So one of the things that we decided was we're going to pray at 8 o'clock in the evening. We're not going to wait until 9 when kids are too tired and grumpy and it's just more difficult to get everybody um, on board, um, especially Carrie. <laughs> just late. So we're going to pray earlier in the evening. Um, and uh, so that's that's one thing. And then with no TV around, that's going to make it a lot easier so that the kids are not going to be simply um, wasting their time on um, uh, on their own devices. Uh, so John Luke is deleting the chess app from his little iPod. He doesn't have a phone, um, but he does have an iPod. So he's going to get rid of that. Any games that are on their phones, they uh, they might have one little game on it. Um, but those are going away. And um, um, we instead are going to be uh, having more um, quiet in the house, um, which is great. Uh and then I could do the same thing. Fasting is all about how we're going to be renouncing certain foods that we have. And again, I let them know that I'm going to say this out loud. So now I've got to live it. Um, uh, giving up coffee. Yes, this is giving up coffee this Lent. Um, my kids said it was a bad idea. <laughs> Gary said, why don't you just go to one pot a day? One pot of coffee at the beginning of the day. And I said, no, I'm going to tea. I'm going to have tea <laughs> during Lent. And we'll see how that goes. I've done that a couple times before. Not a lot of fun. <laughs> so if I'm grumpy and grumbly, you'll know why. Uh, so we again, we, we brought this out to show the kids that uh, Carrie and, and I are going to lead the way regarding the idea that you're going to restrain yourself. And so junk food, right, stuff like that. Carrie talked about just not buying stuff. If I don't buy the stuff, then you're not going to be able to access it. And you guys, for your part, are going to commit to not go to the stores and buy the junk food. So 
fast food, junk food out the window for Lent. Let's go. Almsgiving, we are still figuring out. We haven't yet come to um, a lot of clarity regarding what we're going to do to extend ourselves in loving ways towards others. But we'll get there. We'll get there. But the theme is what? You can see how there's a facet of each of these disciplines of Lent that involves renunciation. Do you you get that? And I've said the word a bunch of times, but do you know how to do that? Do you know how to make the spiritual act of renouncing? This is not rocket science. This is not something that requires uh, extraordinary thought. Uh, it, it requires a simple act of the will. <clears throat> I renounce. There it is. So when you are facing an area in your life where you feel a, I, I use the word inclination, by inclination, I mean there's a tendency to move towards that. It's sort of like there's a magnetic pull that pulls you in that direction. And it, it, you, this would be a great thing to become aware of in your life. Like, where are you finding yourself pulled towards ways of thinking, ways of speaking, ways of living, or things that you're avoiding? that lead you into darkness, lead you into sin. Where are those parts of your life? And come before the Lord humbly, and like you would when you repent, like I repent of this deed, renounce the attitude. Lord Jesus, I renounce the attitude of greed. Lord, I renounce the attitude of lust. Lord, I renounce the attitude of anger. Lord, I renounce the attitude of pride. Lord, I renounce, what am I doing? I'm going through the deadly sins. You can pay attention to the particular attitude that is personal for you, the one that is holding you back. And come before the Lord. And I just did it in a simple sentence, but you can expand upon it. You can expand upon whatever it is that is holding you back. I'll choose one that everyone deals with, that's pride. All right, here's, here's a, a way of renouncing pride, right? Now, again, pride can show up in acts that are proud, but it can also show up in, a, and again, a way of relating to our own lives, some parts of our lives, in a way that we don't want to put God first. We want to elevate ourselves or put ourselves forward. So you can renounce that. And here, here's, how, here's how it can show up. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you as your son. And and Lord, I acknowledge you as my Lord today. And I repent of those misdeeds, those ways in which I doubt you, those ways in which I don't trust you, those ways in which I elevate myself and put myself in a first place. And I renounce the attitudes of ingratitude. Lord, those ways that I do not acknowledge your blessings, I renounce my lack of appreciation and acknowledgement of your mercy on my life for all of the things that you have preserved me from 
and all of the things that you have rescued me and my family from. I renounce, Lord, the ingratitude that is part of my life. I renounce my mistrust. I renounce the the attitude that I have in my life that makes me hold back and putting myself into your hands. I renounce the the way in which I want to control how I provide for my family, how I protect my family and lead my family. Lord, I'm a rebel. Please, I renounce that. Please come and make me live again as your son, as one who is a little child trusting you, throwing himself into your arms. Make me again that child. Amen. All right, so what I did there, I actually, towards the end of that renunciation prayer, I just made that up. It just sort of comes from the heart, right? I just picked a particular deadly sin. You could go through any one of the deadly sins. Again, I'm only saying that just not to say you should go through each of the deadly sins. I'm just saying that it is something that you'll find that is part of your life in some way. But one or another might be predominant right now. And and that would be a good one to focus on. So, uh, but there's the final and deepest way of conversion, and that's the conversion of mindset, right? The conversion of mindset. I remember I said, you repent of your misdeeds, you renounce your attitudes that are sinful, that incline you, that move you, magnetically pull you towards uh, sin or darkness in your life. But the, the deepest level of conversion that the Lord intends to bring about in Lent is the conversion of our mindset. We're called to have the mind of Christ, Romans chapter 12. Called to have the mind of Christ, and that is a gift that comes from the Lord. That's the grace of metanoia, of a change of mindset. That's a gift of conversion that only the Lord can bring about. You can't stop seeing things the way that you're seeing them in the deepest matters, in the deepest things. You can change how you see certain things by... Certain, uh, uh, that's not the theme of this program. This is Ash Wednesday. Let me just stay on. Beg the Lord for the gift of the conversion of your mindset, of coming to see your whole life differently than you see it now. By the way, you do that, your family will give great, great praise to heaven. <laughs> they will be incredibly grateful if they begin to see in you a new mindset, a whole new way of seeing. And that comes from the Lord. It's what I, I think it's what I beg for the most from the Lord, is that whole new way of seeing. Because we're never done with it. You're never going to be done having a conversion of your mindset. Because that will have to do with how you see your own life and how you're going to spend your today, your energy, your giftings, your money, your, your time, your relationships, all of those things, with the grace of that conversion of mindset, it'll begin to cleanse relationships of unrighteousness, of unworthy goals, of impure, um, of, uh, impure thinking or actions. Um, when I say impure, I mean polluted. I don't just mean sexual. I mean just polluted, like not pure intention, um, uh, mixed motivations, right? The, the Lord can cleanse that. The Lord does cleanse that, but we've got to pray for it. We've got to ask for it. 
Come before the Lord. And if you don't know what it's like to even ask for it, just you could use the prayer that I pray. I, I mean, it. I don't know that. I don't know if the Lord, if He, um, he gets tired of me saying it, but I'm like, Lord, please, you have to conquer the rebel. Conquer the rebel who I am. There's parts of my life, Lord, that have not yet been conquered by you. Please conquer in me all that resists you. Lord, I repent and I renounce and I say, change my heart. But I say, Lord, conquer the rebel. Come as a conquering hero, as a mighty Lord, and exercise that lordly power over every dimension of my life, over every thought I think, over every imagination, over every memory, over every minute that I spend in the day, over every word that's part of every conversation, over all the energy I give off in any one of the interactions I have with any other human being, please, O Lord our God, come and heal, transform, save. Come and, and, and redeem my whole way of seeing my life. Amen. There we go. That's a Lenten prayer. That's a Lenten prayer. So today, getting launched into, Ash, uh, into Lent with Ash Wednesday, I've just begun with this opening reflection on renunciation. And renunciation as sitting within this beautiful set of repenting, converting activities, repenting of our misdeeds, renouncing our, our, our sinful attitudes, and crying out to the Lord for a whole new way of seeing our lives. When we come back, I'm going to dig a little bit further into what Lent actually means. Hey, welcome back to Sun Insight. This is Tom Curran. It is a great joy to be with you today. So it's Ash Wednesday. It's Lent. Let's go. Let's not settle for less. Let's strive to have the Lent that the Lord has in store for us. I mentioned ashes. You know, acid ashes, you remember, right? They come from Palm Sunday, right? The palms from Palm Sunday, which are used on Palm Sunday to acknowledge Jesus as the Holy One of God, the Messiah sent from God, that same palm that's used to identify Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah of God, the Savior, that same palm is used by being ground down into, into dust, into the ashes. It becomes a mark. It marks us as dust, as dust, as powerless, as being incapable, as being nothing. It's very humbling, right? Remember that your dust and to dust you shall return. You're made, you're made to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. There's a palm-like quality to your life. But in order for us to live that palm-like quality where our lives are used to identify and point out and acclaim that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah of God, the Savior, we have to live the ashes reality. We have to live that ashes. Listen to the words of Pope Benedict XVI in one of his Lenten messages. He says, we could say that conversion consists precisely, so I'm talking about conversion, consists precisely in not considering ourselves creators of ourselves, thus discovering the truth, because we are not authors of ourselves. 
Conversion consists in accepting freely and with love that we depend totally on God, our true creator, that we depend on love. This is not dependence, but liberty. The symbol used to mark us is the palm, not but not the palm, but the palm ground up and consumed in fire. It's crushed to become ashes. Ashes that are not smudged on our foreheads, but signed in the sign of the cross. We are marked as dust with the very same sign that marks us as loved beyond imagining. Not powerful. Just two other short quotes from Pope Benedict about this. <clears throat> he says, To be converted means, therefore, not to pursue personal success. Renounce it, which is something that passes. But that, abandoning all human security, renounce that, human security. We follow the Lord with simplicity and trust. Renounce the ways in which we struggle to live a simple, trusting life. Continuing, so that Jesus will become for each one as St. Teresa of Calcutta liked to say, my all in all. Whoever lets himself be conquered by Jesus, there we go, that's the prayer. Whoever lets himself be conquered by Jesus is not afraid of losing his own life, right? That whole idea of renouncing our lives that Jesus asks for. Because on the cross, Jesus loved us and gave his life for us. And in fact, by losing our life out of love, we find it again. Now, it's taken me the whole show up to now to say he puts together in one paragraph. <laughs> That's the gift of Pope Benedict. That's the gift. You got to pray for the repose of his soul. Pray for Pope Benedict. Last, last paragraph from Pope Benedict, and then we'll move forward. St. Augustine said on one occasion that our life is the sole exercise of the desire to come close to God, of being able to let God enter into our being. The whole life of the fervent Christian, Augustine says, is a holy desire. Now, that's beautiful because I talked about inclinations and we renounce those inclinations, those attitudes. Remember, attitudes are those inclinations, those pulls. Here's the other word, desire. It's the desire that tugs at us that says, choose the comfortable, choose the easy, choose the pleasurable, choose the satisfying. Not choose the cross, choose the difficult, choose death to the desire, choose restraint of the desire, choose not to fulfill that desire. Renounce, renounce, renounce. And in doing that, the holy desire of being with the Lord, the holy desire of being in union with God, the holy desire for God himself will grow in us. Last sentence. If the whole, the whole life of, a, of the fervent Christian is a holy desire, says Augustine. If this is so, Benedict says, in Lent, we are invited even more to uproot from our desires the roots of vanity, to educate the heart in the desire that is in the love of God. God, says St. Augustine, is all that we desire. And we hope that we really begin to desire God. And in this way, 
desire true life, love itself, and truth. That is so powerful. So what is Lent? It's about uprooting some desires so that other desires can blossom. It's the weeds in the wheat, brothers and sisters, right? The weeds in the wheat and, and what's being sown into our lives. What's being sown into our lives? Well, what we do every day is going to nurture and feed certain desires. I'm going to talk about fasting, not today, not a lot today. Uh, I'll mention it in passing. But you remember, so one of the things that fasting will do is it is going to diminish the fires of the desires that are in us for pleasures associated with eating. And the, the crazy thing is the dynamism of sin. Aquinas says this. He says that gluttony, when you attempt to fill the desire for more pleasure in eating by eating more pleasurable foods, the desire for gluttony does not diminish, but it grows. It gets further inflamed. You, you've probably experienced that. Maybe yesterday. <laughs> I'm laughing, but isn't it, it's not funny. It's not funny. Gluttony, we're so full, but we keep eating more because of the pleasure. It didn't satisfy. So even though the body is full, the, 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 the spirit of gluttony isn't satisfied, but burns even brighter. And so that's true with all the desires of the flesh. When you feed the desires of the flesh, not authentic human desire, but the fallen dimension of human desire. That's the flesh. It's the fallen dimension of human desire. And so fasting, restraining ourselves, even restraining ourselves from authentic desire for nourishing food, not for the sake of the pleasure, when we restrain ourselves, we're going to find that the fire dims. And that's what we'll find, not only with regards to gluttony around food, but for those desires that we renounce through the things that we're giving up. You give up the, the, the media. You give up accessing your smartphone. You give up the soft, comfortable, easy things through prayer fasting and almsgiving and, and the ways that you're doing it. And you know what? You're going to find that the flesh has less of a stronghold on your life. And I'll get into it more later, but that's when the, the battle is going to intensify. That's the crazy thing. That fire doesn't go out without a fight. So, all right. But let's, let's talk about Lent. Let's talk about what is Lent. Well, as you know, Lent comes from, well, there are two different root meanings of the word Lent. The old English word is springtime. So that's one of the meanings of Lent is that it's traced back to the Old English for springtime. The other uh, traditional tracing back or source of the meaning of the word Lent is slow. Uh, in Latin, Lent comes from a root that means to slow down. Slow, go slow. So it's about what? When you're, when you're slowing down, you're, you're going to do less you're going to be more focused. You're going to be more attentive. You're going to surrender the frenzy. 
and focus on what's more simple. So by slowing down, we can enter into a springtime and look at where we are. I don't know about you, but if you were in the Spokane area last night, around, I don't know, 4.30 or 5 o'clock, there was this weather warning of some kind of snow, blizzard, flurry. I don't remember the right word, but it was like, hunker down if this thing comes. It's dangerous. I'm like, what? What have we signed up for? This winter's been crazy. You know what we're looking forward to? Springtime. Right now we look around, everything looks dead. Springtime, that which looks dead comes alive. Welcome to Lent. That which looks dead is meant to come to life. And there's a way to get there. How do you get there? We'll find out in a minute. Hey, welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. So, Lent is a liturgical season. You know the flow of the liturgical season, Advent, and then Christmas. And then there are some days of ordinary time, some weeks of ordinary time. And and now we're in Lent. And Lent leads to Easter, the Easter season. And after the Easter season, you have the remainder of uh, ordinary time until uh, towards the end of November, right? And then you come back around to Advent. And so that's the flow of the liturgical calendar, right? Advent is a season that is um, penitential, but penitential in terms of um, preparing, waiting, like a penitential waiting for the coming of the Lord. Um, And then Christmas, you celebrate the coming of Christ. And then you have the ordinary time where, where it's focused on bringing the gospel to the world. And now we're in Lent. And Lent and Easter together traditionally is known as the Easter season. So it includes Lent and then Easter. So you can't understand one without the other. Um, so Lent are those weeks that have to do with two dimensions. There are two sides to the coin of Lent. It's being freed from and being freed for. Freed from and freed for. And the, uh, the scriptural uh, associations of Lent involve the desert. And so there are two characters, there are two major moments in salvation history that you, uh, you encounter time in the desert, in a journey through the desert, right? You know what those are. Of course, Exodus, right? You have the Exodus journey through the desert, 40 years in the desert, and you have Jesus 40 days in the desert. And so Lent is about the desert. But you can't understand the desert unless you understand what came before and what came after, right? So just like springtime is about that which is dead is going to blossom into life, um, what we're going to focus on is um, the desert isn't just for the sake of the desert, but the desert is focused on what comes before and after the desert. So, for instance, in the time of Jesus, what do we have? Jesus didn't just say, you know, I haven't seen the desert. Let me kind of go out and just take a little vacation. That's not what happened, right? Immediately prior to Jesus being in the desert was what? It was the baptism of Jesus. The descent of the Holy Spirit, 
and the voice of the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I delight. So Jesus is then pushed, driven, led. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke. Three different words for how the Holy Spirit was operating in Jesus as it related to the desert. The desert wasn't Jesus' idea. The desert was Jesus' obedience to the idea of the Father as prompted by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus was pushed. He was, he was driven. He was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit. And there he was, what? He was there in order to be tempted, in order to be tested. And then what happened immediately afterwards? It was public ministry. Jesus shows up in the synagogue and starts preaching. So you see, if you're going to understand the meaning of the desert in our lives, in our Lent, we need to understand the uh, associations with Christ and with God's people. And so for Moses, and I'm going to make the associations in a minute. Let's just get to the other one. Moses is the other character. He's out in the desert. Why? He didn't just think, again, it was a vacation spot. He wasn't making a pilgrimage. It was the Lord sending Moses to Pharaoh, saying, let my people go. And after the 10 plagues, finally, Pharaoh lets the people go. They get through the Red Sea, 40 years in the desert. They get to the promised land. And what happens? They first, uh, when they, um, when they reach the promised land, um, they're afraid to go in. And they get pushed back out into the desert, and then eventually they come back, and they're able to enter the promised land. The promised land of good things, of milk and honey, right? That's the place where they were going to be, uh, they have their own land, established by God, etc. And so what do these associations have to do with what was the the time in the desert for? Well, it was all about being set free from the attachments to slavery in Egypt. Now you stop and think to yourself, are they kidding me? Why would the Israelites be drawn back to slavery? Why, why would they be drawn back to a place where they were driven and suffering? Well, you read the scriptures. They were the leeks and the onions and the flesh pots and the, and the food they had and the drink— they were willing to undergo the slavery that came with fulfilling the desires they had of the flesh. And so for them being in the desert, it was all about being freed from those desires that would lead them back into slavery. And it was also about preparing them for their new identity as God's chosen people in the promised land. They had to live that identity. They had to be prepared. They had to learn to follow the pillar of flame by night, the cloud by day. They had to learn to trust in God's providential care to give them manna in the desert, eventually quail after they complained, uh, that the water would be provided for them through the rock. And here's God saying, you have to learn to trust me. You have to learn to be docile and be led by me. That's the association of Lent for our lives. There are parts of our lives that are drawn back to slavery. That's crazy, but it's true. And there are parts, of, and so we have to let those 
those desires die. Those desires have to be diminished. Those desires have to be repented of. Those desires have to be renounced. Those desires we have to cry out to God and say, conquer in me the rebellious desires that live in me to go back to Egypt. And then there are the desires in us that have to grow. Lord, give me the desire to trust in you for life-giving water, your Holy Spirit. Lord, give me the desire to grow and follow you, follow you towards that promised land of good things that you have for me in my life. Lord, give me the grace to follow the lead of your Holy Spirit by night, by day, and to trust in your providential care. You will provide. I don't have to figure it out. You will provide. I will follow. Those are great attitudes. Those are fundamental attitudes for our life of faith. And we learn them by looking at every Lent and this Lent as an exodus. But we also look at it as our chance to be more bound, deeply bound to Christ. And so we can look at this Lent as, you know what? Not just inspired by our own thinking, so the prayer, fasting, and almsgiving that we'll be doing are just things that we've decided. No, you can be pushed, driven, and led into this Lent. Just like Jesus was pushed, driven, and led by the Spirit into the desert, you can be pushed, driven, and led by the Holy Spirit who sees you, who knows you, who has you named, who has you pegged, who knows exactly what you need, and who has a desert that has your name on it. Oh, I like that. There's a desert that has your name on it, Lent 2023, are you willing to be led by the Spirit into that desert? Now, why? Because there is something He's going to prepare you for. You're going to learn to rely on Him for the manna that you need. You're going to learn to be led by Him, by being docile by day, by night, by the Holy Spirit to provide. And you will get the sustenance you need to be able to do that. Because when you come out of Lent, when you get to the end of the Lent, you know what? You're going to face spiritual battles, just like Jesus did. Uh, and we'll dig into those temptations later to understand how those are associated with our lives as well. Jesus battling against Satan. There are demonic powers, spiritual attacks coming against your life. But this is all headed somewhere. It's headed to the next thing that God has for you, proclamation. There'll be a new form of proclamation, a new form of public ministry, a new form of showing and shining and sharing the faith that you have in Christ that has grown during this Lenten season. This is an exciting time. Remember when the Israelites made it into the promised land, they didn't just get to sit around and enjoy milk and honey. No, they had to battle. They had to battle for their integrity as God's people. They had to battle against surrendering to the enemies of God in their thoughts, their words, their deeds, or as a nation. And so they had to keep the pure faith, the true faith, and live as God's people. That's Lent. This is what we've signed up for. No, this is what's been given to us as a gift. And whether you signed up for it or not, you don't have to do this Lent. You get to do this Lent. All right. God bless you. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.